welcome to the 17th episode of the Formula E Zone podcast. I'm Jack Jordmaner and we'll be discussing the first race weekend in Diria. Alongside me, as usual for the podcast, is Tobias Bloom from E4MLD. You alright, buddy? <laughs> I'm alright, yeah. That was the most energetic opening and opener into any podcast I've heard in a long time. Well, the season um, is back! It's back! FE is back, finally! We've had two races, not even one. We've had two races. <laughs> oh, so good. It's so, so good to have the best racing series on the planet back in their season. But is How it are back? you, by the way? I'm very well, but to go do my question again, but is it back, Tobias? <laughs> we got 50 days back. till the next race. <laughs> it, yeah, it is back. It is back. Let's just ignore these eight months uh, months eight months yeah imagine (laughs) it feels like it eight weeks uh now it's only seven weeks until the next race but let's just ignore that fe is back fe is back but first we have a massive announcement to make because we have our first patreon and his name to give him a massive shout out is Matthew Polanski. I just want to say a massive thank you for obviously donating some of your hard earned cash to, to us. We really appreciate it. Um, it makes all the effort, everything that we do worthwhile. So thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Um, so moving on to the race then, because we've got so much to discuss. So we're going to start obviously double header, two races. So we'll start with the first race, which took place on a Friday. And we'll just start with qualifying first. We had Sims on pole, Alexander Sims on pole. We had the Mercedes in second and third. And that was a surprise. What do you think about the Mercedes before we get onto Sims? Oh, really surprised, yeah. Um, and just generally by the pace of, of the two new teams. Mercedes, in air quotes, of course, the new team because they, they've had a season's experience with HWA. But still, um, they were really... I mean, they were a lot quicker than i expected them to be um good job good on them yeah i was i was really surprised and the thing is that's really interesting for me is that venturi backed them up because mortara qualified p4 so you know i'm very good at writing off venturi as one of those teams it's just a midfield team they're not there to make up the numbers they could spring a few surprises here and there but you don't expect them to so when you saw the mercedes powertrain up there on the friday and you saw Venturi with Mortara in P4 backing that up. I think Mercedes might be onto not essentially a winner, but you know they might have a really strong powertrain and could be a could have a really good chance this year. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's still very early days. It's only one weekend, and it's not even a typical Formula E circuit. Uh, Diria is very atypical to the other circuits we see and the other tracks we see in F- in Formula E usually, but still. Um, them being strong all weekend is a promising start for them for all all of the four cars so both works Mercedes as well as the Venturi cars which are obviously as you just pointed out powered by Mercedes they did a good job yeah they did for sure then we're looking at Alexander Sims's pole then obviously wasn't in group one and we'll talk about the group one scenario in a second but for Alexander Sims a man who was you know wasn't even sure if he was going to be in the team going into this season to go out there and to put it on pole no matter what group you're in really and truly so he picked up those three points um for qualifying on pole but as i said he was a man who we weren't expecting um maybe to be on pole in this first race uh, well he's been on on pole before in new york uh final race of last year um he is quick but going into qualifying, I had no idea whatsoever about which car is best. Um, so it wasn't a big surprise to me, but it wasn't unexpected as well, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I expected BMW to be right up there. Um, and to be on pole, that's a good achievement for the first uh, first time out. And it uh, brought him the lead in the championship, at least for two hours or so (laughs) (laughs) but what i wanted to talk about then so the group one because obviously we're talking there about mercedes being second and third and venturi being up there we had sam burden fifth who remembering now that he 
He was the man who qualified the, out of the group qualifying from group two fastest. And then we had Jerome D'Ambrosio doing a really solid job for Mahindra actually making it to the final Super Bowl. So obviously, then from your championship leaders, we had Vern not in there. He was down in 11th overall. Bawemi 14th. Uh, Lucas Degrassi down there in 19th, Antonio Felix Da Costa in 21st. But, you know, going into that Group 1 session that they were in, the track was incredibly dusty, probably one of the dustiest we've seen. So was it sort of expected, obviously, that they weren't going to be in Super Pole and they were just trying to get the best place yeah. they possibly could? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're right in the middle of the desert in Deria. Um, we were supposed to see it last year, but it rained. Um, apparently it was worse than last year with all the rain, or this year with all the sand. Uh, obviously if there's just the tiniest bit of wind, it blows all the desert sand onto the circuit. And that really was the big talking point of, of Friday. Uh, we've seen it in practice, drivers losing their car and smashing into the wall. Uh, that happened in qualifying as well, if I'm not completely mistaken. I think yeah, with, um, Muller uh, and Calado lost and their car uh, on qualifying, just because they were off the ideal line by half a metre or something, um, just a couple of feet off, and they ended in the wall because there was just no grip out there. And they were in, in qualifying group four, which uh, apparently has the best grip of, of all groups. Uh, so just imagine... Uh, how difficult it must have been for those in qualifying group one um, but that led to a decently interesting grid uh, Sims on pole and as you said the the quote unquote favourites in, in the championship uh, right at the back Da Costa to P21 uh, the other Tachita of, of Verne in P11 um, that was promising I would, I, I it would say it was a good qualifying lap considering he was in group one sure yeah but he started from the mid-pack. What I wanted to talk to you about, actually, was the qualifying group. So group one, obviously they had the dirty track, but then there's only like six cars going out. So I know they're cleaning the line, but surely the line isn't going to be cleaned that much for group two. And then Sam Berg came in and set the fastest lap overall. So... And they're only doing two laps, and I know that's like, okay, fine, they do two, maybe three laps with the out lap. Well, like, tell a lie. They do the warm-up lap at... that They do their out lap one. They do the 200-kilowatt lap. Then they do their fast lap. So they do four laps. So four times six is 24. So that's, I suppose 24 laps around the track might clean the track up quite well. But, you know, did you expect... I don't... With Alex... With Sandberg qualifying second in the second group and then setting the fastest time, you know, do you think that the track conditions did change that dramatically from group one to group two? Mm, no, I don't think so, no. And if you take a look at all the other drivers of Group 2, Sam Bird was just the fastest of them all. I think next best was Andre Lotterer in P7. Who else was in Group 2? Daniel Abt, P15. Yeah. Oli Rowland, P8. Jerome D'Ambrosio, he was good. He made the Super Bowl cut and the Super Bowl qualifying uh, in P6. And then there was Pascal Wehrlein, who started from P13. Um, so having Bird set the fastest lap in... In group qualifying, that that was really impressive because, as you say, the grip just wasn't or wasn't supposed to be there, but he still somehow found it. I think it was just a matter of Sam setting a really really good lap, and not a matter of the track improving that much between group one and group two. Because I always find that interesting. I like we have it at some other tracks. Obviously, I think Saudi Arabia. I think like Punta del Este when we used to go there. You know, with the beach yeah. and the sand getting on that. But most tracks, you know, we still sometimes see the dirtiness and the track having to rubber in. And I just, I think it just amazes me how much a difference the group one qualifying system makes to the other groups. And I think, I also found it funny because we interviewed them last year and you had Lucas Degrassi, Jean-Eric Verne, all at the end. Oh, this is like, ugh, what could you expect us to do? This is not a great qualifying system. It penalizes us. It's great. <laughs> I love it. But at the same time, they told us we want this to be changed. But then sometimes, and then they said, oh, we don't want it to be changed because it makes it entertaining. It's like, make up your mind. Like, do you want it to be entertaining? So you're forced to qualify at the back of the grid. But then my argument actually always has been, is, hmm. is that qualifying? Because, you know, you're not actually finding the fastest person on the track. You're just trying to make a mixed up grid just for 
through a really clever qualifying system. I have to give it to them to how they made it. It's potential mixed up grid. Or do you do you just you know change the qualifying system completely, and to ensure that whoever is the fastest on in within that time limit, um, is is the fastest. But I have a feeling if we moved qualifying system to a system where more like Formula One, where you have more chances. Uh, and obviously, no, I know Formula Ones wouldn't work because of the how many cars would be on track, but it's, it'd be quite interesting to watch. But I don't think it would work at places like Paris or Monaco. Um, but anyway, they, <laughs> they'd complain then as well. I don't think whatever qualifying system Formula E could come up with, I don't think the drivers will ever be happy with it. Sure. And as long as it creates excitement, I'm I'm there for it. Um Depends, of course. Of uh, depends, of course, uh, on what end of the stick you get. Is that the correct idiom? I don't yeah, know. I think that's quite what end. What end you get? So sometimes you get the, yeah, you get the good <laughs> end. Yeah, I'm John Eric Byrne. I was in Group One. I qualified in the top six, like what you guys moaning about. Whereas then yeah. next week, John Eric Byrne's twentieth. I hate this qualifying system. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, we like it, and uh, it brings entertainment with it. Um, and so I, f I think the current qualifying system is is good. Um, we might see a change in the future, but for now I'm I'm more than happy with it, just yeah. because it brings so much excitement into into qualifying. It does work, and you don't know you go and because, as you said at the beginning, the most competitive championship in motorsport at the moment. You don't know who's going to be on pole, and so you're on the edge of the seat until that final super pole lap. Because you, until then, you don't know who's on pole. And it is, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. The whole point of this qualifying system is to, yeah, scramble up the grid. Uh, it's not a side effect that drivers of in Group 1 tend to qualify towards the back end of the grid. Um, it's supposed to be like that. And it is, that's the whole point of, of this four-group qualifying system. And it's doing the job it's supposed to. Right. I think... Let's move on to the race now, because the race was just as interesting as qualifying. And it started off really well, it started off really cleanly. Like, I was I was ready for that first lap shunt, which never came. Hmm. But, you know, it started off really well. Sim sort of got away, sort of started to dominate the proceedings and having the Mercedes behind. Um, and Sims, to begin with, looked like he was in control. Uh, and for the most part of the race, I think he only lost the lead. Spoiler alert, he lost the lead um, after 30 minutes. Uh, so he led for two-thirds of the race, and he looked really good. The only thing that didn't look too good was his energy management. I think in the end of the day, that really cost him any chance of, of the win or the podium finish. Um, he was he had the pace, but he used too much energy on, on his way. Um, but apart from that, he really looked good in the race. He did. He did. He, he did. It was a shame, really, about the energy management. But uh, as from what I get from BMW, they just ran the race too hard. I think they just got the numbers slightly wrong. I don't. I think they were going to do one. They thought the race would be one lap less than it would. So then that caused Sims really then to curtail. Is you know once he started slowing down and and the race the drivers behind him got close to him. It was just you know I don't want to spoil it too quickly when we move on to the next bit. But you know. He sort of just fell down and he, f he ended up finishing the race in eight. So after all that work and qualifying and having that strong 30-minute opening session part of the race to then just fall to eight feels like, you know, it, it probably was disappointing. You could see it on Sims after the race that he was, you know, quite disappointed how that race got away from him. But I'm just going to talk about the race winner now because I feel like I know we're talking spoiler alerts, but come on, like. I'm pretty sure most people who are listening to this <laughs> podcast have know the race winner by now. So, Sam Bird. Now, remember, Sam Bird, he was the quickest driver in the group qualifying system, made a mistake on his qualifying lap, which is probably one of the main reasons why he was fifth, because of that error. What a race, because um, I think we saw attack mode used, and obviously he used attack mode plus overtaking and turn 18 which was the turn the first turn of the race where that chicane is he loved that place he was making some great overtaking maneuvers to get up into at least third place passing the freeze and mortara on the way and then he took the attack mode early and after the attack mode change it was on the exit before turn 18 so coming up before the long straight last year but this season it was on the outside of turn 19 
which goes remember when we we were discussing they really liked that it works on the slow corners and it did work because they lost like a second and a half doing it but in that lap which we haven't seen a lot of uh tobias he actually gained the time back that he lost and more he is the king of attack, or was the king of attack mode in, in Deria, wasn't he? Um, used it so well and did a nice strategic job. Um, I really liked how, how he used and applied attack mode. Um, and I really liked how he, well, made made up ground with the extra 10 kilowatts. I think we really saw a, a big change in that. Um, as opposed to last year, we had 225 kilowatts uh with the attack mode now it's 235 and these extra 10 kilowatts did make a, a world of difference uh, especially and, for bird and it was noticeable on that back straight yeah. the speed they were going down the back straight compared to those on the 200 uh was was immense like it yeah, was like having absolutely. it was ugh, pardon the pun well i don't know if it's a pun but it was like a mini drs <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it made a huge difference and uh, Sam, yeah, made, made the best of it. And uh, although, to be fair, he also did race well without the attack mode. Uh, oh, for sure. He took the lead ten with 10 minutes to, to spare uh, off of Van Dorn uh, without attack mode. Uh, just a plain old good maneuver down the inside of turn 17. Um, yeah, fair and square without any attack mode help, any gimmicks. Just better pace than Mercedes. But, but what put him there was the attack mode and we can actually use sure, that he actually yeah. undercut. Even though he didn't, Van Dorn hadn't actually used that attack mode, but he was in a position anyway where he was going to undercut Van Dorn or Sims if Van Dorn didn't do that late break down the inside, um, passing Sims, forcing him out wide, which then Bird followed through. But let's say that move never happened. Where Bird was, even if he stayed exactly where that was with Van Dorn and Sims, he was passing both of them into the attack mode once they had to take the attack mode zone anyway. So it was brilliant. It was just a, a really well-managed race. You know, he he's smart, obviously. He's been in the series now, starting his sixth season with the same team. He he's, he knows Formula E now like the back of his hand. And he knows how to use all its little trump cards that it gives you. But I think that was the best race of attack mode, of how attack mode can be used. And yeah, I think you're... 100% right, the extra 10 kilowatts an hour made a world of difference. If it will make a world of difference at other tracks, I'm not quite sure, because I, you know, not all tracks have the beautiful long straight line straight that um, Deria has, but it was it was just managed to perfection. Yep. Textbook drive. Textbook. This is how you're supposed to be doing Formula E. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And you know, it, for me, with for Virgin now, I suppose we can talk about it, but they did dominate. So they, you know, fastest in both practice sessions. Then, you know, Bird probably should have been on pole. And then he goes and dominates the race in the way he did to go from fifth to first. Like, that was a marker. I know it's the first race of the season and you don't like, oh, it's still the first weekend, but I felt like that was a <laughs> marker already. Yeah. He did make a point, didn't he? Um... We'll have to wait and see how how the rest of the year pans out for him. Last year he made a point early in the year as well, and then remember Santiago. He won the race uh, and took the lead off of Verline. Well, did Verline lead? I think he did. Yes, he was. And uh, Santiago. He was, he was he was closing in on on Pascal Verline. Yeah, that was an amazing race last year, and then he had so much bad luck, and that in the end cost him any chance of of the championship. If he manages to keep this pace up and the performance up and has a bit more luck this year, um, Bird could, again, very well be, be in, in the thick of it in terms of the championship fight. But, as I say, still far too early days. Uh, we still have 12 more races to go and a lot can happen in those 12 races. But uh, if, if Bird keeps up this performance and does the same weekend after weekend, the same he did last weekend and repeats that and repeats that and continues to repeat that. That was a championship-worthy drive in Diria. But as I was just thinking, it just popped into my head that, you know, 
he sort of did that last season, as we said, like in Santiago. And maybe Virgin, they have a really good car. Maybe they've got a good package, like they possibly did have at the beginning of last season. But, and I'm going back to this Group 1 conundrum thing again in qualifying. <laughs> because then we saw what happened in, in Deere, and that could easily happen again in Santiago, easily happen again in Mexico. Maybe not as much in Mexico, but moving on. Chile was dusty last year. Yeah, as well. Chile was yep. fairly dusty. But then, if you start getting into Group One and you're in Group One consistently, then you're in the midfield, and yeah. you're fighting your way through. And then, as accidents, it's basically what happened to Sandberg last season. He was in Group One quite early on, and he was because of the way the points. He was still in Group One most of the way through the season, but the tracks weren't great, and you know, he he was starting to fall back, and others caught him up. And I think maybe Formula E, it's a really weird conundrum to put it, but it's it's about when you get to Group One, uh, and yep. a, like it's like it's like a building. Like you don't want to be there too soon because you can easily get caught and not back. But if you get it at the right time, which probably Vern did last season, he got into Group One and obviously he was in it. Then he was out of it because of braces, so he was able to qualify a bit better to get the points. But obviously, Vern did do some amazing drives. In I think he did get from Group One into Super Bowl and a few times last season. But I have a feeling that maybe if you're in Group One too often, then I reckon that could have a detrimental chance on your championship. Sure. Yeah. The ideal way of of approaching a Formula E season is, I don't know be in qualifying group two for as long as you can and then for the last four races or so attack and then win every race and just find a way to deal with group one but you just can't manage that can you you can't um, but it's, it's it there's feels- so much happening in the races and you cannot drive strategically thinking about the next race because I mean, you have to win. That's in in every race, no matter where you are in qualifying uh, for the next race, uh, you try your best, and that's yeah. the, the of way course. of going about. You have to, racing. but if you were Sam Bird and you were maybe analysing your season last year and thinking where it went wrong, because those bad lucks, of course, were no fault of his own. He got hit in the midfield, but that was because he was in Group One, and he, if you're in Group One, that means you have to get the qualifying lap right. There's no room for error, which probably makes Group One that more amazing than any of the other groups because there's so much pressure on it that you know if you get it wrong in group one in qualifying it could seriously affect how your championship goes because you know you could be leading the championship by 15 20 points but you have a bad group one and you're 21st and then your rival manages to get p8 let's say they're in group one as well imagine and then but then goes on to finish second Case 18, you can only go back to 11th, let's say, in the race. He's, a, he's ahead of you in the championship through one race. Just one. It's, it's, I love it. But at the yeah. same time, it's you know, it can really affect the championship. Yep. Am That's I reading true. too much into it? I, I think so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there, you, I mathematically, you're right. Um, and it, it's, of course, better to... Yeah, as I, as I just, just laid out. I mean, it's, it's best if you kind of hold back for a large part of the season but who would do that who would realistically hold back in a race if you have an option if you have (laughs) either you finish in p8 or you finish in p4 you of course take p4 if even if that means you're starting in qualifying group one next time out you take p4 you take what's given to you because you don't know what might happen next weekend you might crash out in fp2 um and then all your your hopes of even if you might be in qualifying group two, um, are pretty much gone. If you end up like Nico Muller, for example, he had a crash in FP2 on, on the Friday, and uh, oh no, sorry, in, in, in qualifying on on the Friday and didn't make the start yes. um, because of the repairs still going on. And yeah, I mean, strategically thought, of course, you could hold back so that you're in in a better qualifying group next time out, but realistically. No one would ever do that. No, and I agree with you totally. But it's just, you know, when you just think of the psycho- psychology of the sport and the makeup of the sport and how it goes, and maybe if you were to really go into detail of how it was won, I think, you know, if you were to do something like that, then you'd, you'd have to say Group 1 
would have might have had some impact on the championship. But we'll move on from that. We'll try and sum up the events of the first race, the key events that, that happened, and then we'll move on to the second race because the second race got juicy. But what I wanted to talk about was Jean-Eric Verne. Now, he qualified 11th, which mm. we all thought was amazing. And we probably thought that he would move forward in the race and get quite a lot of points. But before he ran into problems towards the end of the race, he was still in 11th. He hardly made any movement forward. And that surprised me for Jean-Eric Verne. Yeah, he did struggle with his car, though. Um, and retired halfway through the race with a damaged steering rack. Um, I'm not sure how big of a role that played, um, as well as maybe not having the experience on the dusty track. But you're right, I'm, I'm not sure what was the reason behind his lack of pace. Um, towards the end of his bit short-lived race, it surely was the steering rack slowly giving up on life. And the team had to repair that overnight in between Friday and Saturday. It took them until one, half, half one or two in the morning. Yeah, breaking the until curfew. They yeah, breaking the curfew uh, in doing so. Uh, so it took them a long time to figure out what actually happened with the steering rack. And I'm sure that played some role in his lack of pace on, on Friday. Um, but generally, the Tachitas didn't look too great on Friday. Also, right. um, Antonio Felix da Costa. Of course, new team, new car, new environment, new surroundings. You will have to learn how to deal with all the new stuff that's going to be waiting for you if you join a new team. But he ended the race in P14, um, which is, of course, less than he expected. Um, in fairness, though, he started the race from P21 and ended in P14, so he did make up some ground. Um, but yeah, as you say, Tachita wasn't the, having the best of times on on uh, Friday. Having said that, uh, Felix da Costa topped group qualifying on, on Saturday. Um, so it might have been something, some, some setup thing maybe. Um, Audi struggled with their setup on Friday as well. Um, something might have been the reason behind their lack of pace on, on Friday. Might have been the steering rack, might have been a setup. I have no idea, um, but race day on, on Friday certainly didn't go to plan for Diaz to Cheetah. No, not at all. Um, yeah, the only, the only other thing I wanted to mention was Audi. They, as I said, they scared me. I remember when I was talking to you about pre-season testing and I was like, they're only 16th and 17th fastest. And then <laughs> they don't look anywhere like scoring points on the first race. I was like, man, have Audi seriously got this wrong? Even with their own... It was, were we looking at another Tech Cheetah Renault situation where, you know, Virgin, the customer team, banging it out with their, you know, powertrain and the software, but the main team struggling. But... It was good that for Audi, even despite not scoring um, on the Friday race, they did get their act together for Saturday. So let's go straight into Saturday. So Saturday, completely new, different race. Um, as you said, uh, you know, Antonio Felix da Costa, he, you know, he ended group qualifying fastest. And that, you know, more like it from Techi And it was a great lap. He was he ended up, you know, three temps clear of Buemi. So obviously came from qualifying group three. So like the first person so he was qualifying group three Buemi qualifying group four uh D'Ambrosio was third from group qualifying he came from the second group Sims from the second group uh in fourth uh Lucas Degrassi in the second group in fifth and Miss Edge in the in third sorry in the third group and Mitch Evans in the second group and Sam Bird was the leader of the group ones in seventh but it wasn't Antonio Felix da Costa who got Pole. It was Alexander Sims getting back-to-back -back poles and setting a new record of getting three consecutive poles in a row. I bet you weren't expecting that, Tobias. I We've never I seen didn't it know before, what you so expect, you couldn't expect it. Yeah, I, I could have expected it. Um, good job. I mean, Alex Sims was... He's the new star on the Horizon 4 FE, isn't he? 31 years old, from London. In his uh, prime. In his prime, um, taking three poles in a row. Good job. That's and a good achievement. Yeah, and also there's no way not to like him. He's one of the most likable guys on, on the grid. I don't, yeah, I don't he know gets a lot any of person who dislikes him. Yeah. Because he's, he's so dry. Best, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's the just, best. He's just so cutthroat. He's just, he's just a guy that says it as it is. Like There's no mucking about when you talk to Alexander Sims. He will just tell mm. you... 
you know, sometimes he'll keep some things in reserve, but you, he's, he's not got a poker face. I don't think, maybe he does have a poker face. But when you, well, so far when you talk to him, I don't know about you and you've spoken to him, he doesn't look like a po- he doesn't look like he has a poker face because no. he wears, he does wear his heart on his sleeve. He's the Jurgen Klopp of, of Formula E, the yeah. normal one. <laughs> Extremely normal competent. Oh, I'll tell you what, He's I think a... when we, when we finally get to a race this season, if we compare him to Jurgen Klopp, we can maybe get a picture. <laughs> See what he says. I think that would be hilarious. I think we'll have to film that. <laughs> I think we'll have to film that. Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, yeah, but yeah, he's he's the normal one. He's likable and he's super good at what he does. The thing so is, though, we're, we're gonna have to tell him to get better teeth. <laughs> we're gonna have to tell him to get better teeth because Jurgen's Klopp's teeth that matches the smile. Um, but are Alex's teeth that bad? I've no, not seen, at all. But I've never you know, looked at it. Te- is it is it is it, is it is it Jurgen Klopp's? It's hard to be to beat Jurgen <laughs> Jurgen Klopp's team. I love I love this tangent. I love this tangent. Um, <sighs> but then super obviously Sims on pole, but Sebastian Buemi doing a great job in that Nissan uh, to get P two. Lucas Degrassi righting the wrongs from the previous race on Friday to be third. Uh, Jerome D'Ambrosio sticking it again with Mahindra in P4. Antonio to Felix da Costa P5. And Mitch Evans uh, in P6. And I don't have him down as setting a actual lap time. Mitch Evans? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was disqualified after qualifying for oh, an underweight car. So he of did course. set a lap time, but was disqualified. Yeah. From Super Bowl, by the way. So not looking, disqualified looking from qualifying, results. but lost his Super Bowl time. But I think from there, what I was interested in, obviously, Audi getting back on their feet, but Jerome D'Ambrosio, P4, Mahindra, like, the silent assassin. Yeah. Because you're not... I keep writing Mahindra off, and it's really wrong for me to do so, but I feel like with, obviously, Porsche and Mercedes coming in, and how strong they have been so far in this opening weekend, I worried for Mahindra. And, you know, but Jerome D'Ambrosio is, is keeping him in there. Yeah. But we didn't hear a thing from him all weekend, didn't did we? No, not I mean, at all. It just came well, out Where of did nowhere, he end really? the qualify? The, the group, uh, the, the group, the group practice. Yeah, it's pretty much group practice. What a word. Um, <laughs> Pascal Wehrlein fifth in the Mahindra on Saturday. That was decent. But D'Ambrosio P eleven in FP three. Let me check the times for uh, for FP one and FP two. Qualifying, Verline really struggled. It was unlike it was an unlike Verline weekend. It just nothing seemed to go right. It was pretty much, no, yeah. nearly um, mirroring his first weekend in Formula E, um, where it just didn't seem to go right, and it just didn't seem to go right for him, for him here. Why you look at that? Then obviously Sandbird was uh, seventh. We had Mortara eighth. Maxi Gunther. So that was interesting. The star of testing, Maxi Gunther, you know, didn't really play a feature much in qualifying. Only in P9. And then Andre Lotter again for Porsche. Um, running out top 10. And Vern in 11th. But Vern had a penalty. Which will... Uh, because he had to change a battery. Because of a crash that he had in practice free. So they gave him a 20 second time penalty. And a 10 second stop 10 go second. penalty. But mm-hmm. Tobias. Why did they take the 10 second stop go penalty? Yeah I mean. It was a 10 second time penalty initially. So he was given... The, the typical Formula E, Formula E penalty, you just add up 10 seconds to his race time. But the team elected to go for a t- 10 second stop and go penalty, uh, which didn't lose him 10 seconds, but 34 seconds. And you would think, why would they do that? Um, because, I mean, you lose far more time than, than you should be. Uh, but the reason is pretty simple. Uh, they took the stop-and-go penalty, uh, they, they turned the time penalty into a stop-and-go penalty uh, and took it early on in the race and then played poker and waited until the safety car came out, which did come out in the end. So he made up all the time he lost, all the 34 seconds he lost uh, in, in the pits, he made that up behind the safety car. Um, and so he served his penalty, but was right in the mix. And then made up ground, then out came out another safety car. We had a full course yellow uh, part of the race on on Saturday. And he ended the race in P8. Um, Spoiler alert again, but 
<laughs> end of the race in P8. And if we had added 10 seconds to his race time, he would have finished outside the points in, I think, 14th or 13th. So that pretty much gave him points. So they, yeah, they, they added unnecessarily, you might think, 24 more seconds, which is the time for drive-through through the pits. Um, you would think unnecessarily to his race time, but in the end, it, it came out better for him uh, because he finished in the points. So smart. That's just that's just smart. smart thinking. Yeah, it's just unbelievably Absolutely. smart because the safety car in Formula E comes out so often. So the 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 chance of having a safety car. So yeah, it would have ruined his race. Imagine if imagine he was having a great race, and then the safety car comes out last two laps, basically like it did. His race is ruined if he takes that ten seconds. Yeah. Whereas you know he's taken that penalty of a ten second stop go, and then. You know he's able to he's able to fight at that last stage to try and get those overtaking moves in the latter stages of the race. It's incredible, incredible thinking by uh, the Tech Cheetah Squad. Um, so let's just get into the race then. It was quite a lively race. Um, it started really <laughs> well. Sims again, um, leading leading the the field away and getting a really strong gap. Um, but the Costa the Costa managed to get past the grass in the early stages, but going into attack mode so this was sort of a problem and this came out after this race no problem going into it uh nothing emerged from the friday race about the placement of attack mode but as soon as the costa decides to t well not t-bone but hit the back <laughs> of sebastian Boemi as he looked like he was about to enter so he turned in a bit more uh well sharply um because he was taking a tighter angle to try and go into attack mode and antonio felix da costa got that completely wrong misanticipated it and hit him and sent the Swiss driver running, uh, which he did get a penalty for. But on social media, the Costa was a bit, you know, felt was a bit more of a racing incident. Felt that the penalty was a bit harsh because he could never have guessed that he was going to go into attack mode. So, Tobias, how do you sum up the um, incident between the Costa and Bowemi? Yeah, I think neither driver is to blame for the incident. It's the placement of the attack zone. Um, it was another location compared to last year. We will have to add that. Last year it was on the outside or inside of turn 17 or just after turn 17. Um, and that placement wasn't great either because drivers had to turn sharp right after exiting the already sharp right-hand corner and had to hence be a bit slower in the corner and that led to all kinds of drama. Um, and now the attack mode activation zone was placed in turn 19. But that wasn't great either because drivers also had to take a different line in the corner before that. And that, in the end, or in my eyes, is the reason for the for the accident. If the attack mode activation zone had been placed elsewhere, uh, Costa wouldn't have had to take a different line. Uh, sorry, Wemi didn't, wouldn't have had to take a different line. Costa wouldn't have hit him uh totally different outcome um but so yeah both came together of course da felix da costa could have anticipated buemi activating attack mode because the nissan took a different line exiting and entering the corner maybe but that's all in in the heat of of battles on track and that's easy to to overlook um so if you I think the ones designing the track and putting the attack zone activation zone thing there wasn't the best decision. Um, and that's what the, what the driver said in the driver briefing going into the Friday race even. So there were some complaints about the location of the attack zone um, and why they complained. Well, we saw that on, on Saturday. Drivers having to take a different line uh, to activate attack mode and that led to the drama surrounding Felix da Costa and Buemi. To be fair, though, the way in which Buemi returned to the track wasn't great either. Oh, no, um, not at all. <laughs> that was one of the worst bit of driving and returning to through the track I've, I've yeah, seen in Formula E in, like in a long time. Basically Monza from in Italy yeah. with Stroll yeah. and Vettel. Yep, absolutely. Um, it, it just had the exact same feel, and you knew what was coming for Buemi all that spinning down going back to 14th but back to 14th because he nearly took out three cars by returning to the track because he he just swerved in front of them as they were going through it was 
how there was no crash there. And Oliver Rowland, his teammate, was nearly the car he collided with. Yeah. So, just mad. I don't understand. He, he should have just waited. He should have just waited. Yeah. But that's how race drivers are, right? I mean, they want to rejoin the race as quickly as possible. <sighs> but you must do that in a safe way. But does the team have to play a part in that? Way. Should sorry? someone be in the radio saying, should the team play a part in that? <laughs> should someone be on the radio saying, sorry, look, yes. <laughs> you, yes. Can't, you can't go yet. You've got him coming, you've got him coming, you've got him coming, you've got a gap between, you might say you've got a gap between X and X of like, you've got it now or never, try it, and you might get away with it. But there was no gap when he decided to pull out. They were basically coming around the corner and he was deciding, I'm going to spin my car around now. Right and now, they were yeah. already coming round full pelt. I'm not sure if the team was on the radio or whether it wasn't. Um, I don't think it would have made too much of a difference um, because you saw by by the body language of the car that <laughs> women really wanted to rejoin as quickly as, as possible. Well, and he did, um, but it wasn't... Yeah, as I said, it was some of the worst and um, most unsafe driving I've seen in a long time in, in FE. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd have to agree. Um, but there was more carnage. Whereas race one, there wasn't actually that much going on, apart from there was Apps incident uh, towards the end of the race, which brought out... Um, I think it brought out a safety car. Yeah, um, it was a safety car. Yeah, for the Apps wing. So that was the only one. But we managed to first get our first safety car through this incident where... Bird and Evans, they came together, but it looked like on the TV screens that they were always going to come together because obviously there was a bit of a lockup in front and the you know the car sort of converged into the actual turn one, um, so not turn one, turn eighteen where they got from the start line, actual turn one, which is on the left going in from the exit of the pit lane, and obviously Bird and Evans, Bird tried to go around the outside, which then going into like two and three sort of converges and it gets tighter and the two just touched okay and bird was sent out a little bit wide and evans amazingly which i was surprised by got quite a bit of damage and had to retire from that race but evans was given the penalty so before we move on to what happened next in the collision what did you think of evans penalty there because to be honest with you i thought that was a slightly harsh because yes Evans was there, Bird was sort of maybe a little bit ahead, but they were side by side. They probably would have been a bit blind in the mirrors. Bird probably didn't see Evans or thought he might have got actually like past Evans. So I thought that was a bit more 50-50. Absolutely, yeah. Couldn't agree more. It was a prime example for a racing incident. Um, Bird could have seen or left seen Evans and could have left him a bit more space. Evans could have pulled back a bit earlier and pulled out of the situation. Both didn't, and that's how it ended in tears. A classic racing incident. But Evans managed to get a penalty for it, um, but it didn't really matter much because he was out of the race because there was too much damage to the car because it was, it was actually quite a little bit of a light contact. I don't think Evans hit the wall as such, but they both made it through the corner, but there was obviously contact side pod to side pod, which sent Bird out a bit wide, but he was able to catch it. Obviously, because speeds are all off throttle at that point, saving energy going into the left of turn four as they're going downhill. Um, Still finished ahead of marching well? Yeah. Um, Burn. But, <laughs> but then... Surprisingly, Bird retired from the incident, but it wasn't the Evans incident. He was then catapulted. Well, catapulted, but you know, <laughs> taken either out. way, was hit from behind by Pascal Verline, which then sent him straight into the wall while he was just trying to recover things. And boom, safety car. What did you make of that incident? Yeah, also a racing incident. Um, Verline could have anticipated a slow car ahead. I'm not sure there, whether there were any, any white flags. Uh, but Ooh, yellows maybe at that point. Because he yeah. was going. He saw that Bird was struggling. Um, and it wasn't really necessary to to overrush things maybe. And trying to overtake him as, as quickly as possible. Um, but at the same time, Bird also didn't look into his into his mirrors. And didn't see Verlein approaching. Um so yeah, Verline is in part to blame. Maybe it's it's fifty one forty nine kind of a Brexit decision, um, <laughs> but, but maybe a bit more leaning towards Verline being the one at fault there. Um, but nothing, yeah, it it wasn't enough for a penalty. 
Yeah, so that... But, but, but the same applies to, to Evans. That wasn't enough for a penalty either. Yeah. I think the 10 seconds were uh, far too harsh. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that wasn't the only safety car. So obviously that safety car brought Vern right back into contention, as we mentioned earlier. But it wasn't long, though, until the next safety car came out, which was a bit of an odd one, with Robin Frines <laughs> making it a horrible day for Virgin <laughs> Racing after yeah. the highs of winning on, on Friday. But he just lost it all by himself and hit the wall. That uh, rare error. Yep. Similar incident to the qualifying crash with Calado and Muller. Off the ideal line, off the racing line, you get onto the dust, you lose the car and end up smashing into the wall. Um, as you say, odd one, especially so far into the race. Um he said after the, after the pre that it was a just a driving error and his his own own making, um, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, it wasn't a great day for Virgin anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, after fitted. the highs, after the highs of, after the highs of Friday, uh, that's what Formula E does to you. It brings you right straight back down to earth, and yep. I'm pretty sure Virgin felt that on the Saturday, um, but. Obviously, safety cars then played a massive um, impact, had a massive impact in the result of the race, involving the second BMW driver of Maxi Gunther, who doesn't like to be called Maxi Gunther, so I apologise and call him Max. Max. So, he, it was going back to the first incident now. So, you're not allowed now to take attack mode under full course yellow and safety car, which we pleaded for last year, and they listened to us, Tobias. I don't know why we haven't got paid yet. <laughs> and and they can't do it. But what I didn't like, and I think this needs to be fixed as well, is as soon as the it safety does. car goes in, that they all then took attack mode because yeah. they hadn't actually overtaken the safety. They hadn't gone past the safety car line. So in my opinion, I didn't like that whole thing anyway because in my opinion, they're still on the safety car conditions. Even though that's going in, you haven't gone past the safety car line yet, you shouldn't be taking attack mode. Like, I think that needs to be rectified because then that, that, that's just as pointless, in my opinion, as doing it during the safety car period because you can't overtake anyone. So it's just a free, it's just a free attack mode. You, you know, you can't do that. In, that's my opinion. I don't know about yours. You can tell me yours in two seconds. But what that gave is Maxi Gumpfer and Nick DeFries decided, I don't want to take attack mode. And, <laughs> and blatantly overtook about two or three drivers. Um, which then was technically overtaking under the safety car. Um, so what do you think of this whole little thing that just happened? Yeah, it was very confusing, wasn't it? Um, and chaotic as well. Um, thing is, the, the problem is we have the new rule disallowing attack mode activation under safety car or focus yellow conditions. We've talked about it plenty of times on the podcast. Um, but the race race went green... Uh, when the drivers were at some some farther up up the start line, some further back, but the drivers were on the start line, uh, so before the attack zone, and the safety car had a f phase had officially ended, and so activating attack mode became a possibility for the drivers. Uh, Fifteen of them did so. Um, however, as you said, overtaking still wasn't allowed because the race leader then takes or, or has Control the job of, the of race, dictating yeah. the pace he controls the pace and you are not allowed to overtake until you cross not even the safety car line the finish line is the one that counts so yeah. you you have the race pretty much being green and you have green conditions you are allowed hence to uh, to activate attack mode but you are not allowed to overtake and that's what caused all this confusion because drivers, and rightly so, activated attack mode because the race was green. But they also didn't, over most of them didn't overtake. Um, Antonio Felix da Costa, he knew the rules and briefly went past uh, Alex Sims, but then let him pass again. Um, four drivers, I think, didn't know the rules. Um, yeah, Lotra was a bit of a De different Freeze. story because he Gunther. he overtook Pascal Verlein at the beginning of of uh, the safety car because oh, Verlein yeah. was was slower at, at the restart. Um, I think 
DeFries, Ma. Ma overtook four cars in all of that. What a legend. Yeah, what a legend. Um, <laughs> what a legend. And then, and then Gunther, of course, um, overtaking two cars, uh, being De Grassi and Van Dorn. Um, so, yeah, the, the, a way to avoid all of this confusion in the future, of course, easiest solution, drivers learn the rules. Or introduce a rule similar to what we have with DRS in, in F1, disallowing attack mode activation uh, for a lap or two laps yeah, after I the think end a of lap, the safety car. I think a lap is fine after the safety car. Once the safety car period, and once you've crossed that finish line, you can't activate attack mode yeah. um, on that. in Because it's pointless, because uh, you just it's the, it's the same conundrum that we had last season, yeah. where 15 cars take the attack mode you want to get rid of that so you, you you saw that and straight away like red flags were in my head you need to get rid of that because they need to do it on the next lap when there's a little bit of field spread sure yeah um, and they're actually loser position i don't think the field spread is, is the issue there the issue is the advantage of activating attack mode on the safety car because you yeah. cannot lose a place because you are <laughs> you should be not allowed to be overtaken um, if you are in a safety car and focus yellow conditions. So the idea of the rule was to eradicate all the advantages you have with activating attack mode under safety car and focus yellow. But it still um, gave them one more advantage that they could take. And, that's, that's, yeah. and, and obviously that will only happen at tracks where the attack mode is after the safety car comes in. Because obviously when the safety car is still out on track yeah. and you're going past the attack mode, they shouldn't. Save if it says safety car in this lap. Um... They sh if if it's at turn four, for example, they're going to go past it. They shouldn't. They yeah. shouldn't activate it on that lap. So it will only happen on, I think, tracks when the safety car is gone. If um, we still had last year's attack mode, it wouldn't have it been a possibility have because drivers were past turn seventeen by that point. And the safety um, car was still out. Yeah. <sighs> so it's I think we will think, see. You know, we will see there the needs FIA to be a clarification on, on that because. Yeah. Because it was just... I watched it and I was like, well, what's the point in that then? Like, yep. we're all wasted. Um, Absolutely, yeah. If, because it, 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 it wasn't fit for purpose at that point. Um, so, yeah, but the only thing I want to... Gunther then came home in second, so we'll wrap up the podium. Obviously, Gunther coming home in second. Degrassi was third. Um, Mortara having a fabulous race um, to finish in... Uh, well, he finished on the road um, mm -hmm. but the Maxi Gunther coming home second we saw Lotterer get a penalty as the line ha happened for his overtaking under the safety car and everyone was like well it's clear as day Gunther did it but there was no penalty till like three hours after the race yep that's annoying isn't it um, and even us us poor people having to work <laughs> in the yeah. FE environment having to wait for the results, but it's even worse for the fans because uh, you want to you finish to watching a race and know there. the result is the one you've just seen on screen. And you, you hate finding out that the result of the race you watched has changed three hours after the jacket flag. Um, but that's how it is in, in Formula E. The races are very short. You'll have to keep that in mind. It's just just three quarters of an hour plus one lap. And it's difficult to find comprehensive solutions um, in, in that time dunk. span. But if, if it's a slam it's dunk like that, down. yeah, yeah, that shouldn't take three hours. That should be within two laps. Oh, you've overtaken under. You know, you should review that. That should come up as a review, and they go, "Yep, we've seen it. Yep." You only need one look at that. You only need one look at that, and you've, you've broken the rule. So, what, what were they looking at for three hours? That's what I want to know. Were All the other incidents that happened. Yeah, I know, but like, <laughs> surely you get the ones that are clear as day that, you know, Gunther's one was a massive one because you're going to have a driver up on the podium who's going to get taken off the podium. Yeah. It was a bit like Lewis Hamilton's one. Like, uh, that's the, the, the only thing In I Brazil, feel like the FIA yeah. need to do something on is when you, there's a bit... And they did really well with Max Verstappen in America. So I'll give the FIA credits in, back in 2017 when Raikkonen replaced him with Raikkonen. They did that quick, so... You know, the right man was on the podium. Yeah, they quickly looked at it and went, bam, okay, great. Whereas, like, the Lewis Hampton one, yeah, it was a bit 50-50, but look at it, make a decision, 
there and now, drop whatever you're doing, make a decision because put the right man on the podium. It would have been amazing to have seen Science on the podium um, in for in that race. But it's the same here. You've got a BMW 1-2, but you knew that BMW 1-2 was so in jeopardy. So if it's, if it's not right, get him off the podium, put Degrassi second and get Van Dorn back on the podium for Mercedes. And you would have a double Mercedes podium actually fans seeing it yeah. um, in the race. I think when it involves something like the podium, like I feel like they've got to be much quicker at making that decision because cause then you know, you know, I was waiting, phone, next three hours, kept checking it. Okay, 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 now it's come through. Like, oh, how time did the race finish? It was literally three hours. I think it was bang just after three o'clock um, local time in the UK. And the race, well, it's a two hours then, uh, to be fair, because the race would have finished at 12.45. So about, you know, two hours and a bit. And it comes through, but you're like, we knew that. Yeah, so, I think it was just a matter of the race direction having far too much to do in the last 15 minutes of the race. Because we've seen the race, the race direction of FE acting as quickly as, as we want them to. Uh, I remember London season one, race two. Uh, Stefan Zaras? Or season two, yes. I think. Uh, where yeah, he crossed the line first. He was he was the winner technically. That's that race, right. But yeah, but he hit to zero percent. Imagine if Stefan Sarazen actually won that race with Venturi after the season they had oh. with missing it with Heitfeld. Crazy. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he did hit zero percent. He did use too much usable energy, and then thirty seconds later, the penalty was applied. And Sam Bird ended up on on the top step of on the, the podium. Top step. Yeah. So it is possible, um, but that race was less eventful <laughs> to put it carefully uh than the saturday race of diria um i don't want to play advocate for for the race director here um i hate waiting for the final results just as much as anyone else does um but i think it was just a matter of them having a lot to do and wanting to release all the results with all the penalties at one uh, at one at once <laughs> Not yeah. at one, at once. So, that was pretty much the race then. So then obviously top three was Sims. He got that win. Demanding, we don't really talk about Sims, but it was a commanding victory. And, you know, to see Degrassi put the wrongs right to finish second and Van Dorn again for Mercedes. So Mercedes now lead the team's championships as well, which I don't think... Uh, I know Formula E can be crazy, but I did not expect Mercedes to be leading the team championships after the first two races. I know it's still early days. But I wanted to move away from the race. And obviously the one thing, because we need to wrap up fairly soon. Um, Saudi Arabia wants to become a night race. And I think from this race weekend, it has to become a night race. Because with the Saudi Arabian, if you weren't aware, weekend happening on a Friday and a Saturday. That's why... The race, the first race was on a Friday rather than Saturday and Sunday. If it was a Saturday Sunday double header, it probably would work, but it, it won't be because, as I said, the weekend's Friday Saturday. But when you've got the, n the rest of the world not really following that weekend structure, you had a race bang at lunchtime in the UK, uh, and just after lunchtime in in Germany, um, in America, you know it's early morning. It was not the right time especially on a day where everyone's going to work, people are leaving to work, to have a race on a Friday. So for me, next season, it must be a night race. So, you know, I suppose if you make it a night race, then it will put it in the American audience, uh, prime day, daytime on a Friday. But then at least I suppose you've got Europe. But I felt like for Formula E, for opening race of the season, they were basically marginalising the um, American audience by making it so early to watch it live. And they were marginalising the European market because everyone's at work at that time. So I just don't think it was the right time of day to hold the race. So I think they must make it a night race next season. And it was pointless to have the race on on friday for the fans attending in in saudi because no one was there anyway um yeah. it did look empty i was looking at the podium thinking this is normally filled with fans and i couldn't see any fans all i saw was photographers yeah yeah that that, that was a different story because though because they kind of yeah they put up a fence for for the team and another fence for 
for the fans. So it was pretty much like the team members were were in a zoo or something, and fans were were locked out. <laughs> and yeah, don't feed the team members. Yeah, don't please don't feed feed the team members. Um, yeah. Anyway, so the fans were were kind of yeah, I don't know, twenty meters away from the podium. Um, and then also there weren't many of them. Um, I saw Sam Smith, uh, another Formula E journalist, um, tweet about them, about him maybe seeing 700 fans. I wouldn't let too much, I wouldn't weigh that too much. Um, it's just an estimate, but not many fans were in attendance. Um, yeah. And so having the race on the um, yeah, Muslim weekend, which is Friday and, and uh, Saturday, was pointless anyway. Um, so if we are having a, a race on Friday next year again, um, why not make it a ra- night race, uh, is your argument? I kind of agree, um, as long as they, you can make it sustainable. Um, they that's are looking the at ways to me. make a night race sustainable. They are looking, and Saudi Arabia have always been, they've always touted that they wanted a night race. And I think if they won a double header at the start of the season, and we, we're locked in to Saudi Arabia for another we had a 10-year contract so we've yeah. done two races we've got eight years left of saudi arabia and to be fair like i'm not gonna i know people are a bit hesitant about saudi arabia but just looking at the track itself i would like to visit it because i think that's an awesome formula track. like it's fast it's flowing um it's got great overtaking moves at turn 18 there's a lot of action that happens there i think it's a really good formula track. sure uh, yeah but, yeah, I just felt, you know, what's the point of having a great Formula E track where you can't show it off because no one can watch it because everyone's elsewhere occupied? Whereas at least if you make it night race, you try and, you know, at least then the American audience, like sort of we did, watched it in our lunch breaks. Um, hmm. it, you know, if you were a normal fan, you you had the chance to watch it in your lunch break, at least. At least that would give the American audience a chance to watch it in their lunch break. Um, and then the European audience should be home by that time. Um so they'd be able to watch it in their home. So I think it makes much more sense for Saudi Arabia to become a night race. And then I just want to look forward um, to Santiago very quickly. Tobias, Rally Chile has been cancelled, okay? But according to reports, then that happened today, but according to reports, that's not going to affect um, the Chilean Ypres. Obviously, we're not going to get too much into the politics of the situation, but, you know, riots are still happening. And obviously, freight will now, well, freight will now be on its way to Santiago. Um, are Formula E playing this really fine? Are Formula E going to Chile because they don't want a gap to February between the next race? Is it like a, just a do or die situation? Will, you know, could the Santiago E Prix be cancelled if things carry on the way it is? like a week or two weeks in advance of the race. Like, I know it's a hard question to put onto you, but at the same time, like it's still happening. We thought we would have heard news by it, by Saudi Arabia, but we haven't. And everything's telling, everything else is being cancelled around it, but not the Formula E race. Yeah, but we had a tennis match there last weekend with Roger Federer. Um, So there are major events happening in Santiago. Um, it's not like the city is still burning. Um, and as I said in, in the previous episode, of course, if the country has more important things to deal with, then please do so. Um, having a Formula E race there is far less important than any any democratic system or having or not having a democratic system in place or... Uh, a socially unjust system in place. Um, there are more important issues, uh, is the thing I'm trying to say, than Formula E. Uh, the, the, the the point of... At, at the point of recording this right now, uh, we are 100% on for Saudi... Uh, for, not for Saudi Arabia, for, for Santiago. Um, so the teams have been given more assurances that the race will go ahead Um there's no going back for for the logistics department anyway. The cars are already on their way um, to Chile. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think linking the WRC round in Chile to to FE happening in in Santiago is the right thing. 
um, because sim f for the simple reason, the simple reason being, WSRC is supposed to take place in a totally different area of of uh, Chile. Um, so yeah, we will have to wait and see. I don't have a crystal ball. Maybe things will uh, escalate I you did. so quickly. <laughs> I wish I did. That's why I um, ask you these questions. <laughs> um, yeah, but maybe th it is possible that things move very quickly and that two weeks in advance we will see major demonstrations again and protests and then Formula E will obviously have to uh, scrap the race um, on, on short notice. Um, yeah, just wait and see. But the po at, point of th at the point of this recording, the Chile race is, is on. It is. I, I hope we get there for Formula E's sake because it is a long gap and then to extend that even further by another four weeks by making it 12-week gap between Saudi Arabia finishing and Mexico starting. So, And obviously, I think both of us want a nice you know sort of a peaceful end to the protests sure. and yeah. um in in chile and and obviously for the people to you know get what they want and to feel like you know they're not being undervalued in in any way um but i think that's a perfect time to wrap up this episode thank you so much tobias for coming on really oh, thanks for having it, me as always um if you're really enjoying these episodes, we massively appreciate a like, whether that's on any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to or on YouTube, a subscribe to either platform. It was great. Obviously, again, massive shout out to Matthew Polanski for becoming our first Patreon. We really appreciate that. Um, if you'd like to join him, no obligation to, but if you'd like to join him and, you know, you're more than welcome to visit the Patreon page. It'll be in the description in either any of the uh, forms of ways that you're listening to this podcast and you can click on it and you can donate as much as you want or you can help feed Dan who's no longer here so we're gonna have to change that description um you can buy me a watch I think that's the ten dollars and I can't no you know it's pay ten dollars for Tobias to go on holiday during <laughs> Formula E race um, <laughs> yeah because he likes he likes to do that and then two dollars I don't know what sort of watch I'm getting for two dollars um but, but somewhat know, so that you're on time for the recordings, remember? For, yeah, that is true. <laughs> but it might be, it might not be very good if, if I only get a $2 one and I have to get it from the marketplace in Rome or Paris where I have to go for, um, you know, shout out to no dodgy, no dodgy market stores for watches. But thank you so much for <laughs> listening. And uh, we will see you, fingers crossed, hopefully, um, for another podcast in the new year, um, reviewing the Santiago E-Prix. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Indeed. Bye-bye.